0: Today on Compassion Radio.
1: They're having to learn to work together. I love seeing an orthodox archbishop, an imam, the chief rabbi, and an evangelical all sitting together saying we need to save the values that this country is based on.
0: And it's not the beginning
1: of a bad joke. No, it's not, no. It's actually the beginning of an incredible truth. There are points of agreement. They're not compromising and Evangelicals are a minority in Ukraine. But the fact that they're sitting at the table with everybody else says that they've been humble servants involved and passionate about values. And what does it mean to earn the right to be in the room? Well, exactly. And they've earned the right because they've been on the front lines. Hello, friends. I trust your
0: Advent season is full of expectation of good things and a renewed sense of God's presence in your life with hope for the future and joy at the appearing of the gospel all around you. In light, art, and music, our entire culture is all in on the story of God coming to mankind as a baby. And I enjoy it as much as the next guy. While we're celebrating it all, it's also a very good time to consider how this good news of great joy is likewise realized all around the world. It is out there and in power, but not always as we would expect it. Last week, we started a new interview with our good friend and musicianary, Fred Human, on the current state of the church in Ukraine. It's already been a fascinating and fresh take on how the church flourishes in immensely trying times. You can catch the first segment in the podcast archive of our website, CompassionRadio.com. We're going to pick it up today with a quick recap on how Christians in Ukraine are learning how to immerse themselves in the Word of God like never before, and some of the more interesting side effects. Thanks for joining us today. Hear me when I say this, but check it out for yourself. The Bible's there for you too, friends. Read. The good pastors say this. Yep. They say, dig into it. And if I've messed up something or got it wrong here, tell me,
1: because we're a team. I'm not just the authority figure here. Those kind of pastors I can respect. Yeah, they're not God. They realize that you're dealing with people who have to hear from the Holy Spirit. They do have a realm of authority, but they are not infallible. It's a challenge when the American church believes that it's all about America.
0: Before we pivot to talking about how they're living out this call right now, what your call is to serve them, how have you seen, especially in the past couple of years, how the Christians in Ukraine have learned to understand and live and inhabit the Word of God and let it inhabit them? How is it getting in between their skulls, in their hearts, behind their ribs, doing something? What is the Word of God doing in them
1: now? Well, I think they're finally realizing they have to do. I mean, Not that they weren't doing before. But they can't just pontificate. They've got to live it out. And when you're in that situation, you're forced to live it out. Yeah. The old saw, what there are no atheists in foxholes. There can't be. Yeah. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where is this reality or is this a theory? Is this a lifestyle or is this a concept? What I'm seeing in the people that I know, both in the people that I've worked with, when faced with unbelievable stuff, they just keep facing. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Fred, your focus for the past 30, 40 years has been enabling the musicians to become worship leaders, to become the theologians and philosophers within the body to bring to light the emotions and the truths and the conflicts and the doubts and things that are common to human experience, filter through the Holy Spirit's wisdom in a way that when it's presented to the church, that everyone says, aha, that's true. And they join in in the participation of worship elements in a way that honors God, but enlightens the whole body. You've been about that work wherever you've gone in the world, then. God landed your heart hard on Ukraine, what, 20 or 30 years ago, and you've been investing in the people there since. So how is the worship life of Ukraine changing because of this conflict or during this conflict?
1: There's a lot there. Again, at this event I was at last Friday, I met again with a pastor I met the year before. Uh, This was here in Tennessee. He's from Melitopol, and I'll just leave it at that, Mm -hmm. but... They showed, again, pictures of how Russian occupiers came in during his church service. And you would see, if you looked at the before and after picture, plain stage, five singers, big video display in the background. The next shot is big state, plain stage, five singers, big video shot in the background and two guys with helmets and Kalashnikovs standing there. Huh. And if you didn't know that it was Ukraine in the first place, you thought that could have been any evangelical church in America that's doing a contemporary worship thing. So the church is being forced to uh, realize that, A, lament is a biblical
0: injunction. And what does lament mean now for a modern Christian in
1: Ukraine? It means it's okay to feel bad. You don't have to feel, you know, it's Hmm. okay to grieve. It's okay to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, and even to weep and mourn yourself. They have always had a bit of a fatalistic twist, the blackest of black humor, And so that's true. But the thing about worship in the church is that it's what you're feeding people, realizing that worship is formative in the circles I run in, in academic circles and church circles. We talk about spiritual formation, letting people grow in their spiritual life and worship is spiritually formative. The question is, what are we feeding them? And what does it form and ends up in your body? Well, exactly. exactly. How do you
0: assimilate that? And how does it change your life? Give me a different word picture, though, because when we say formative, it seems like something like, oh, it's heavy, it's weighty, it it moves me, or I can't get around it. What does formative or
1: formation mean in this theological context? Well, let's use a physical context. If I don't eat the right stuff, and I haven't for a while, my form changes. Uh And so what you're giving them shapes who they're shaped as, shaped who they're like. It's the way they think. So are we talking about a nutritional model here, then? The kind of food you eat? Yeah, it's what you're giving them. The songs you choose, the way you run your liturgy, whether that's ultra-formal or somewhat informal, shapes their view of God, shapes their view of themselves, helps them understand the theology. Frankly, people get most of their theology from what they sing. Hmm. It does not mean that you have to have propositionally heavy, multiverse, theologically dense (laughs) hymn structure (laughs) to get theology. I'm all for that in moderation. But we also need to be able to express ourselves to God. We need to be able to tell them that it's okay to say, why? How long, O Lord? Like the psalmist did. I get the impression
0: that in the past couple generations that most of our worship in America or most of the Western Anglicized world that has gone evangelical has migrated away from theological concepts and formation in their worship to doctrinal explication that they've been spending their time communicating doctrines or what we say this means for us, and therefore we make this the rule of the church, and those are the things we sing about. That's my impression. You probably have a different perspective based on all the places you've been, but that's been mine, that it seems like we're much more about what we say is right and wrong and making judgments in things we say and the songs we sing than in just discovering
1: what the mystery of god really is today that's an interesting distinction i've not heard it expressed quite that way the theological versus the doctrinal but first of all i take issue with the term communicate okay because just because you say it doesn't communicate it fair enough and so they're saying it. it's like we're stating it we're stating it we're stating it but it's sometimes in, in ways that we can not understand and frankly worship is about revelation and response mm. it's almost like my wife and i like to watch the great british bake-off is what they call it their great british mm. baking show the word they use all the time for things not well-baked is stodgy. <laughs> it's like you eat all this stuff and it just sits in your stomach and you're going, oh, I'm in pain. But if you get something that's cooked right and it's expressed right in a way you can assimilate, uh-huh. then you're ready to respond. And so I have a feeling we're just stuffing people's heads. Don't get me wrong. We need good theological concepts. Uh-huh. We need that revolution. But we also need to be able to respond. That's what it is. It's a relationship. It's not just another sermon. We're formed not just by the information we take in, but by the way that we're allowed to respond. Yeah, We're going for a head-only model as an overreaction. i started calling it the worship counter-reformation. There you go. You know, it's like, well, this is what we don't like about modern music, so we're going to go back to recreating the 50s, which didn't really exist. That model that they're trying to recreate didn't really exist. I know how therapeutic it is for me personally. Let's not focus on me, but when I'm having a hard time, if I can find a quiet place in a wood somewhere where nobody's going to hear me and I can just yell to God, I need to do that. And I often tell people to do that and say, he's been yelled at by people better than you and me. (laughs) Take David's model and say, oh Lord, will you be silent forever? Hmm. Rather than just taking it in and trying to think it's just forming our heads. Spiritual formation is about attitude. It's about response. It's about discipleship, not just information. And I think for our friends in Ukraine, they're living with the need to express those things. We just had a situation with one of our dear friends and colleagues whose documentation was not right in the system coming back from visiting family in Ukraine. She was detained at LAX for 26 hours and then deported. Seems very odd that someone
0: would be in these times who is living in and has family in California flying home to be with them would be black boxed. And put somewhere where they couldn't even communicate with somebody. And as you said, she was deported forthwith on the next
1: plane out and sent right back to Ukraine, which was traumatic in all sorts. And the issue was, it's not just that. This is a 40-year-old mother, and educational professional, who had an education visa, working on a doctorate yeah. in worship studies. And they didn't bother to call the school to check it. Yeah. I don't want to say too much more because we're trying to process all this stuff because okay. the documentation something in the system was wrong but they didn't take the time to consider that but here's my point that when she faced all that she needed el she needed uh. to express she needed to weep and it was okay in that relationship to just do it and she's very stoically ukrainian yes she is she'll, <laughs> if she ever hears this she'll go oh, well come on but she's also hilarious and a very talented and creative person And the only other time I've seen her weep like this was when she was at her house and Russian helicopters were flying overhead. And so in terms of our worship expression, we need to give voice to those kinds of things. Based on the people I've seen locally, still in Ukraine, and those who are out of the country who are trying to sort it out in 13 to 15 other countries, they sometimes feel guilty for being happy.
0: Yeah, I understand that.
1: And and I get that. Why should I have this when my people are suffering? And so there's that traumatic kind of uh, response. But they're learning to say, it's okay to weep like this. It's okay to suffer. It's okay to process this because this is real pain. This is real suffering. And they are incredible examples to us. Compassion Radio will continue to
0: keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please, take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160 corona california 92877 and now back to the broadcast
1: they're learning to say it's okay to weep like this it's okay to suffer it's okay to process this because this is real pain this is real suffering and they are incredible examples to us listen america is the biggest small country in the world Hmm. we're huge in size but often small in mind Hmm. We're facing now, I think, in the church worship in America, it's either it's all head or it's all froth. Yeah. And I hesitate to say that because I, we never go toward the expressive in most of the circles I go in, but we need both. We need the chance to express ourselves, both the agony and the ecstasy, if you will. And it's okay to be biblical in our response, which clapping or shouting or singing. It's okay to lament. It's okay to sit under study. But if all we do is take in and never have a chance to give out in our worship, We are not forming people well. There's no exercise to our worship. Does God require
0: our permission and assent to use what he's put in our hearts for his purposes? You say God's put a lot of stuff into our heads and he's beginning to, through good leadership, get it into our hearts as well. And it's not froth. How much agency do we have at that point to say yes or no to what God is prompting, saying, go here next and do it now. Make this change.
1: Do this thing. You know, it's the kind of thing where if we don't get it the first trip around the mountain, we'll have a couple other trips around the mountain until we do. In other words, it's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of sensing. uh, You know, I'm a thick-headed Italian guy. And sometimes God has to whack me upside the head and say, you need to do this. And I still have the agency to say yes or no, but I know what happens if I don't.
0: Okay, Fred, writ large for me. What is God whacking upside the head for the American church right now that we need to be paying attention to? And in similar fashion, how is he using that kind of forceful hand with the church in Ukraine? Is there a difference or a distinction between the culture and the societies that we are that you see God pushing us hard in one way that's unique and maybe not be quite the same thing as what the other country's
1: facing? I hesitate to maybe state some of it in quite that way because it's like the Ukrainian church is being punished. I think the American church is being punished. We just don't see it as punishment. Hmm. I think we're being forced to think, what does this really mean to be a believer? Hmm. What does it really mean? I'm certain that's happening in our churches. Yeah. So it's more internal angst or it's expressed in extreme response and extreme polarization i think a we americans need to realize that the church is bigger than america mm-hmm. guess what jesus was not american Ooh, did I say that? I don't know. All the paintings
0: I've seen don't seem to have much of any other culture in them.
1: He looks pretty Caucasian. I remember somebody that we both know, and I won't embarrass him by sharing this, but talking about this years ago, this huge, big event. It was supposedly a worship and a celebration of who Jesus is, and they wanted to have people to understand that Jesus was for everybody. And so in this meeting, they unrolled this huge picture of Jesus in a business suit. hmm yeah okay cultural identification is one thing that's a little extreme it means we've narrowed him down to our culture yeah we've got to realize that the church is not an american church it's actually more a global south church Yeah. and the activity in the church is happening in the two thirds world that's something for the american church i think we're getting kicked upside the head there we just don't realize that we're too thick and god's going it's going to get worse hmm. and it's not in the way that we think i read an article earlier this week And a friend who's a brilliant commentator who now writes for The New York Times talks about how, at least in where we live right now, that people in one of the most affluent, if not the most affluent county in Tennessee, we think we're being persecuted because we can't get our way in everything. We just came through an awful situation where extremists almost took over the town. Let's just leave it at that. And David French talks about how this is the wealthiest community in the state, and we think we're being persecuted because we can't do this or we can't do that. That's a problem. Or somebody makes us feel uncomfortable. Well, yeah, exactly. And they're not exactly like us and want everybody to look like us, but that's never been the goal of the gospel. Yeah. Contrast that with what
0: you're seeing as the main theme of God's discipline of the church in Ukraine. You know,
1: I can't speak for God's discipline. I can see what I see my friends wrestling with, and it's something for them to realize they're at the cutting edge of democracy they're at the cutting edge of civilization as they know it not to overstate it and so they're having to learn to work together which is why i love seeing an orthodox archbishop an imam the chief rabbi and an evangelical all sitting together saying we need to save the values that this country is based on
0: and it's not the beginning of a bad
1: joke no it's not no and it's it's actually the beginning of an incredible truth that there are points of agreement that we can agree on. They're not compromising. Evangelicals are a minority in Ukraine. But the fact that they're sitting at the table with everybody else says that they've been humble servants involved and passionate about values. And what does it mean to earn the right to be in the room? Well, exactly. And they've earned the right because they've been on the front lines. You know, they have been shot at. They've buried friends and they've seen their neighborhoods shot up and together. So th- that unity is there. I guess I hesitate to say God's discipline, because we all deal with that individually. What I do see, though, are my friends and colleagues standing up to the test. Yeah. Are they perfect at it? No. Are any of us? No. But in the unbelievable difficulty that they face, they are hanging on yeah. and they are pressing on and they are being creative and they are trying to exhibit kingdom values. And they're being forced to live it out in a way that most of us, most of your listeners and those of us who live in America, will have rarely been tested. Yeah, Certainly not in our neighborhoods, maybe in somebody else's country, but not in our neighborhoods.
0: I tried the best I could back in 2017 to describe what it was like for the believers to stand on on the dais and face the snipers of a Moscow-aligned regime in Ukraine for the second time in 10 years to stand up for individual freedoms and rights. And they were willing to stand on that podium and be shot at or taken out in front of their entire country if necessary in order to do two things. One, to show them where the water and the hot tea was and give instructions to those who needed to find a way through this massive humanity to know what to do next, and two, to pray. And they did those two things faithfully over the course of two or three weeks, and it changed history. But the most important thing that I thought was the miracle that we were seeing, and you and I talked about this years ago, that for the first time in 1,500 years, people from the Ukrainian evangelical community and the Ukrainian Orthodox community actually stood together and held each
1: other up. Yeah. Yep. I've seen it there at Maidan, as you described it. I watched a couple of years ago a national prayer breakfast, mm. primarily a Protestant thing put together. Mm. The first person to pray was a Catholic. Mm. The next was an Orthodox. And then a Pentecostal got up. There are more things that unite us than divide us. Certainly theological principles and approaches are essential, and people stand for what, what they believe in. But let's not major on the minors. yeah that sounds radical to everybody who thinks it ought to look like a 1950s white steeple chapel everybody in suits and in dresses and a a nice calm normal orderly quote-unquote service than to be accepted by the community which all looks like a 1950s tv sitcom yeah the church has never been that over its history But we think that's normative. The
0: corner we end up talking ourselves into and trying to describe these kind of events is that, oh, that sounds like ecumenism. For most evangelicals, the very notion of that word being used is one to say, oh, it's been watered down. It's been played down to pablum, to nothing. That there's no passion, there's no power anymore in the word because you're sharing the stage with a Muslim or a Catholic or somebody who's not your camp. And when under fire, those who will stand with you are your friends. I think God takes note of that, and that we are willing to sacrifice our seeming hegemony over certain kinds of moral high ground, and realize there are other people out here that are just as much as in danger as we are, that are people of conscience, people that are seeking God, that at least for these two hours, we can get over ourselves enough to stand with somebody who is not quote, like us in our own minds and stand before the people and before God and say, you are my brother, you are my sister.
1: That's absolutely correct. I, we confuse unity and uniformity. Yeah. I mean, even God himself is an example of unity and diversity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. They are one. I'm not saying that denominations are exactly the same way, but there's always unity and diversity. And uniformity means that probably we don't need the other guy because we're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to decide, let's find where we can agree and let's work together on that together. And to remind people of this generation
0: that Christianity was not invented when you were born. It was there thousands of years ago before you. And they had an ecumen that brought them together to say, of all these disparate expressions of Christianity in all different parts of the Roman Empire and beyond that, what's really going on out there? What are you learning and what do you have to bring to the table? And let's find something at the core of this that we can all agree upon is the nature of God expressed in his church. And they wrote all the creeds. And we still speak these creeds because they have lasted the test of time. And those creeds are theological. They are not doctrinal they identify God expressing himself, not saying what it means or what we must do about it. They're just saying, yeah. this is God. I, you
1: deal with it. Yeah, and that's why it's important to understand that history. That's why I think creedal statements, the, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, all those things give us a foundation that we can agree on. Yeah, And that's the broadest base of agreement. And so things that deal with that level, we need not just agree on, but act on in unity and you're seeing ukraine do this now well yeah i mean well that religious council has been there since i've been working there but that's been in the midst of invasion light and now invasion heavy yeah uh between don and now the the full-scale invasion that we're seeing they're realizing that we've got to work together yeah. we've got to work together on these things it's not giving ground away it's going for the things that are foundational Yeah. things that will last I'm ordained in a Wesleyan denomination. Do I have issues with some of my Reformed brothers? Sure I do. But when it comes to somebody putting a gun to my head, I'm standing with them. Yeah, Things major and minor are the biggest issue. The other thing is cultural expression. Uh-huh. Being raised in a Roman Catholic church, I thought every liturgy was the same. Uh-huh. And as I got into graduate studies I've been in over the last 10 years or so, I discovered that there are certain parts of the Catholic church that have different uh-huh. liturgies. Yeah. So there's unity and diversity. In fact, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, and I should mention that in that Atlantic Council forum, which we should post a link on, one of the people, part of the party, but not on the panel, was one of the heads of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. That sounds like a word salad, right? It is. Ukrainian <laughs> Catholic, what is it? But it's Eastern Rite Catholics who worship somewhat differently than the rest. Their services look more like Orthodox right. than it, they do with Roman. But they're still part of the greater Catholic Church. They answer to Pope Francis, so there is unity within some diversity in this cultural accommodation that does not necessarily mean doctrinal accession. You know, it's not you're not giving something away. You recognize that there's a different way to do this in different cultures. But unfortunately, because America is the biggest small country on the planet, it needs to look like homogenized white milk. Uh-huh. And I want chocolate milk. <laughs> I don't want strawberry milk. That's, who invented strawberry quick? What were they thinking of? Or white bread? Maybe that's the best way. I'm going to see, here's rye, here's, you know, stuff with all kinds of other stuff. I like raisins and cinnamon in my bread. I like, <laughs> it's still bread.
0: You have a very strange communion.
1: Yeah. Well, let's not go there.
0: I will make one more pivot here, friend, and I would simply say, from your perspective and your experience and your conversations, where is the situation in Ukraine going for the nation and for the church? And what part do we need to play in it? And then the last bit I'll make after they all it's said about that, is what's in it for us? What can we be praying for, for God's renewal of our faith in the West because of their faithfulness where they are? Fred Human's answers to those questions and much more is coming up on tomorrow's broadcast. I hope you'll tune in then. Even if the current news cycles don't carry as many updates on their struggle for freedom, faith, and conscience, don't forget to pray for the millions of faithful followers of Christ caught in the crosshairs. The believers in Ukraine are literally laying down their lives for their neighbors, their country, and the kingdom of God. And consider a gift to Compassion Radio this Advent season. Our brothers and sisters in faith in Ukraine are one of our ministry partners, and we'll send them as much as possible this year to help with their effort to minister to war orphans and widows. Thank you so much for making those gifts possible. Give online today at CompassionRadio.com or call us at 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We'll see you right here tomorrow.